you know from listening to the cultural hall that I like to put people on the spot, and you said you had morning songs that you uh, that you would sing either to amp yourself up or amp others up. You know that I can't just let that slide, and if you remember one of those songs, I'm going to make you sing it right now. <laughs> Happy Monday. Happy morning, it's a Monday, happy Monday. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I'm excited to be able to visit with Ian Murphy. Now, here's the deal. Uh, Ian is, in fact, if we're being completely transparent, he is a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, but that is not why he is here. Uh, he sent me an email that said, hey, here's a little bit about my life, and I think you might be interested. And since it's not my story to tell, but Ian's story to tell, I read through those things and said, yeah, that's interesting. Let's have you come on in. Welcome in, Ian. Well, thank you very much, Richie. Appreciate you having me here. Now, as people can hear you already, they think, well, he's probably not from Utah originally. Maybe we start with your accent. Where are you from? Uh, England originally, yes. Uh, I grew up near Nottingham, England, right by Sherwood Forest. And moved to the U.S., gosh, 13 years ago. And uh, for people that don't maybe understand, like, is that close to London? Is there a lot of members of the church there? Give me an idea of what that landscape looks like. Um, It's uh, two, three hours north of London, right in the Midlands, uh, right in the center of England. Uh, Nottingham is a city similar size to Salt Lake City, and it has four wards, so not an awful lot of members and what was it that brought you to the United States? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, love, really. Uh, I met my wife when I was, or my future wife, when I was on vacation in the U.S. And uh, we spent 17 days together and got married, and I whisked her away to England. And eventually we decided it was time to uh, for her to move back here. I'm going to need to know more than that because that sounds like you know you met sitting at a diner and you both liked the same soup and then decided to leave the people that you were traveling companions with and and be together for 17 days and then got married or or is that what the story is? <laughs> no, not quite. Um, I was uh, visiting um, with actually my missionary, the the missionary who taught and baptized me. Uh, Ten years previous, he and his wife had just had their first child, um, and I'd come out to visit. Um, And they set us up on a blind date. Um, My missionary's wife had gone to BYU Hawaii um, with Rebecca, and so they introduced us. The 17 days were non-consecutive, so we had a a handful of dates uh, that summer and and, uh, kept in touch. Uh, Rebecca came out and visited me in England on spring break next year. And then we were together a few days before the wedding in August. Uh, So it was just under a year between meeting and getting married. But my wife said she knew on the second date we were going to get married. When did you know? I'm not quite sure. It wasn't much longer than that. Maybe maybe about 10 minutes later. (laughs) You're just you're just a little just a little bit slower, but you know just a couple of minutes. So uh, I I obviously deduced from that that you're a convert to the church. Let's talk about how you met that missionary who then introduced you to your wife. Well, um, it was January twenty eighth, nineteen ninety five, and it was a particularly busy day. I was having a housewarming party that evening. And I was walking back from the grocery store, leaving with groceries, and this young man stopped me 
And he said, are you concerned about the problems in the world today? I'm like, uh, sure. And I actually thought, I couldn't see his name badge. I thought he was doing some kind of uh, market research. And I had a friend who did market research. And she would always say, at the start of the day, you can stop and talk with anyone. But you've got to fill certain quotas of types of people. And by the, you can't finish for the day until you've filled every quota. And so by lunchtime, you might have been working for six, seven hours and be looking for this one person who reads a particular newspaper and works in a particular industry and has never lived anywhere other than his parents' basement. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it might be a very narrow thing you're looking for. So I always try to make a point of stopping if I was asked um, to see, you know, maybe I just fitted that criteria and could spare 10 minutes and someone's done for the day. But obviously, that's not what he was doing. Yeah. Um, and his next question was, you know, are you concerned about, uh, you know, war and death and pestilence and famine and all these terrible things in the world? And I started to get the feeling that maybe he was selling life insurance. And uh, <laughs> in, a, in a strange kind of a way, he was. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we talked for a few minutes and he asked if there was a time that uh, he and his companion, who I had not met yet, um, could could visit with me and tell me more. And I didn't know it, what it was at the time. I know now it was the Holy Spirit, but something just said to me that he knew something I needed to know about. I didn't know what it was, um, but I said, well, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and so he went and grabbed his companion and they came back to my little bungalow and taught me a first discussion. And yeah, things just uh, move pretty fast from there. Give me an idea, though. When people hear discussion, and, and it's fun for me to recognize that I served in the time when there were discussions, because it's not really that way anymore, right, with the preach my gospel and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, when they sit down and do a first discussion, those first discussions are basically just establishing the common beliefs, right? A belief in God, a belief in, in Christ, a belief in Christ's church. And so you invite these you know, 20-minute strangers back to your house. What was that like as they start to unfold, not only the similarities, but within the first discussion, it starts to get into some of the differences between uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and any other church? Sure. I, I had become a Christian the year previously um, while I was at university, but I never um, attached myself to a particular denomination. When, when I first became a Christian, it never even occurred to me that I had to then pick a church, pick a, you know, pick a specific form of it. Um, so then after I graduated and I returned home to Nottingham, I'd, I'd, I'd been in the habit at university of trying a different church for a couple of weeks and just knowing I wasn't going to be living there long, just trying to get a taste. But then back home, life got busy and it kind of got put on the back burner and I was reading the Bible and praying every day, but it became something that was more of a, a private uh, thing and that didn't involve uh, church attendance. So I was open to hearing about different Christian churches and, and different possibilities. And I hadn't got a real solid imprint in my mind of this is exactly what Christianity should be, or this is exactly what a church should do and how it should function. So I think I was I was quite open in that way um, to to hearing the message and 
a, a lot of things just made sense to me. Um, at the end of that first appointment, when the missionary you know, said, you know, can we, can we say a prayer? And who would you like to say it? Uh, I immediately said, oh, well, may I? And immediately in that moment, that, that prayer, and my missionary, um, Elder Fulmer, he swears he can practically recite it from memory. <laughs> and I know this more from him repeating it than from my memory of it. But it, it was simply that I liked what I was hearing, but I needed to know from God if these things were true and if this was something I should find out more about and a path I should pursue. And apparently that made an impression um, on the missionary and was, was quite unusual in his experience. Unfortunately, they didn't turn up to the next appointment. They didn't show up? Correct. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, so I, I didn't have a home phone. I didn't have a landline at the time. Um, so um, you know, I went up to a payphone uh, the next day and called, and I was like, you know, I, I, I may have misunderstood something, but I thought you were coming by last night. Uh, not quite sure. And it, it turned out that his companion had got sick, uh-huh. um, and they were confined to quarters uh, for what turned out to be a week. And so I went to the payphone and called every night, and they talked me over the phone for oh, a week. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I would read whatever, you know, the next section of scriptures were that were assigned, and we'd discuss them through the phone and teach me over the phone. What, what? So I was con- I was converted in payphone on the corner of the street. <laughs> you had to pay twenty five cents a minute or whatever. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> what What was your? You, you mentioned that just the year before you had sort of found or converted to Christianity as a general principle. Before that, was it just sort of an agnostic or an atheist, or just hadn't given it much thought? I I grew up um, with Christianity. There was a almost kind of as a, a background, cultural faith. Um, my family didn't particularly go to church or anything, but it sort of floated there in the background somewhere. Um, then I became more atheistic as, as an older teenager, um, before then converting Christianity, and due to the influence of a, a close friend um, when I was at university, we had many long and detailed conversations. She was the daughter of a uh, Methodist minister. And, yeah, we, we had some great conversations that opened up that, that door to me and made it something that was understandable, accessible, and desirable. Why do you think your your kind of teenage years, your youthful years that were uh, spent in atheism, sort of in a non-belief, was it looking for places you couldn't find answers? Uh, just easier to go about that way? I think I I had a, a strong sense of being an outsider and of not really fitting in. Hmm. And obviously that's that's not unusual uh, for young people, but that it meant that I kind of distanced myself from most of the things that were familiar growing up and and looked for other answers and looked for different things. And then we're able to find your way through it. Interesting. I want to take a break real quick. When we come back, I want to uh, pick the story back up after the 17 days of knowing your wife and uh, marrying her. I know it was longer than that, but being able to be in the same place. Uh, We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall.
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall just like Ian is. He went to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. And with a pledge, he was able to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group. Uh, and able to get to know other people who feel the same about the cultural hall that he does. Encourage you to do it, patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. It's also the way that you're able to get videos of the episodes that we have videos with and and all the uh, tangential chatter that occurs within that group. Ian, uh, as every good convert to the church does, you had to find that time where you moved to Utah. You make the pilgrimage. Uh, Tell me... Was it just your wife's family that brought you here, or was there a curiosity about living among so many saints that brought you? There was uh, definitely a curiosity, but but the biggest thing was that my wife was in college when I met her, and we reached a point that we decided it was time for her to finish her degree, and her credits weren't transferable uh, to European University. Um, so that was really the biggest thing, of course, spending time with her family and getting to know them um, was important too. Um, but, yeah, the combination of all those things and the fact that my missionary also lived in Utah. So um, we were all there up at uh, USU in Logan. And, in fact, for a short time, I was actually next-door neighbors with my missionary and his family. <laughs> and we were in the same ward, which was really kind of staggering all those years later. So I have a question about that, because you, you have referred to him multiple times as your missionary, but there are two missionaries, so what about the other guy? Not as close with the other guy? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what his story was, um, but uh, yeah, there, there was one very engaged missionary, and uh, uh, there was a, another missionary, too. I I think that, and I know that you're sort of hesitant to say anything about it, but I think it's the case. I know with uh, the people that I have kept in touch with um, that converted to the faith while I served a mission, you know, those ones that I keep in touch with, they some they keep in really good touch with the companion that was uh, serving at the time that they converted that, you know, was obviously my companion, uh, and others of them that, you know, you, you click well with some people and you don't with others. And um, I, I just, uh, it, it's funny, as you've said, my missionary, and I'm like, I think he traveled in twos. I wonder what happened to the other guy. It, it's, it's a fair question, uh, absolutely. And obviously, um, both missionaries play part their part in in the narrative and in, in the development of the conversion and um, all of that. And so it's not fair to remove them from it, so... Yeah, that's a, a fair reminder. Thank you, Richie. So you land in in uh, in the uh, state of Utah, and you go to Logan, which, if people aren't aware, that's where Utah State is. But it's also not a huge community. Uh, it's cold. I don't know the difference in sort of like climate from uh, Logan to 
in Nottingham in uh, England. What what kind of things did you experience as you first got here that you were like, whoa, there is no way I could have expected this? I think um, I was really pleasantly surprised that there was a lot of um, liberal and alternative subculture. Tell me more. Tell me more what you mean by that. Um, different forms of arts and interests and things that um, maybe don't always have a, a high profile or, or support um, within what we think of stereotypically uh, of membership for the church. And so met a much more um, interest in diverse group of people than I was expecting to. Uh, were there anything that you were like, man, I could really do without this as you moved to Utah? Yeah. Um, no, one, one day I was, I was struck, um, to see that there was a swastika that had been daubed on a sidewalk and, and I, I was really shocked because I'd met so many very nice people and I made a point that I went back there with, you know, Mm -hmm. cleaning supplies Mm -hmm. and everything and, and had it removed because I, I couldn't stand the thought that that. Uh, graffiti existed in the same place that I was living. Wow. And when we're talking about this, we're talking about the like the late 90s, right? Am I right in my timeline of everything? Uh, no. This was, uh, this would be 13 years ago, so late 2000s. But the late 2000s. Wow. So even sort, um, of, sort of more shocking then. And it may not have even been, you know, a... a, a somebody who was totally conscious of what it represented or, or meant or anything. Um, but it meant something to me to see it there and to leave it there. I, I couldn't, in good conscience, leave it there, hmm. um, regardless of the intent of whoever had um, daubed it. Wow, that's poignant. I, I really like that. Uh, it's disturbing enough to you that it it doesn't matter that you didn't do it or that it's not your responsibility, but that you were going to do something about it. Um, what did you study at Utah State? Um, my, my wife uh, studied special education there. Okay. And then she's a teacher. And, and then you, what's your education? Um, my degree is literature, social ethics, and drama. And that's from St. Martin's College in England. And so the thought of coming out to, from that and then obviously being able to support your wife here in Utah, you find yourself in need of a profession. What are you drawn to? Well, um, my background was all uh, journalism and performing arts, and there weren't a ton of those jobs here. Um, and it doesn't take long before you have to take whatever you can to, to pay the rent, right? And right. so I ended up in the call center industry. And I did my time in that, as as many people do, um, and quickly, you know, worked my way up from frontline agent to operations manager. And you know, it's a it's a difficult industry, but uh, it has its places too. And met many wonderful people doing that. And there were lots of opportunities, I think, to to just try and raise morale a little and. Mm-hmm try and bring a little light to people's spirits you know when you have a job that's hard to do and really can feel quite soul-sucking uh, anything you can do to just lift things a little I think can be more impactful than anything else you can do as a leader 
That's a fascinating perspective. I think a lot of people that have experienced that sort of call center um, atmosphere probably don't feel like there were many leaders that were trying to lift spirits or or even really cared about their morale, right? I think the general perception is that it's it's where you go because you know you can always get a job. There's always turnover. There's always hiring. And, you know, it pays pretty good. But, man, if you make it through training, you're a warrior. What kind of stuff did you do to sort of lift the morale or, or boost spirits there? Oh, it would be anything from making sure that there were fun games and activities going on, um, whether as a as a, an excuse to bring people off the phones for a few minutes or uh, for prizes to win or just having a, a, a song on my lips. Um, I developed you know, various sort of cheering morning songs and welcomes that um, would often ways that, you know, set myself up and... and you know, made a little fun of me in the situation, but just anything that helps people feel a little more comfortable where they are. Hmm. Um, it's taking the time as well to, to walk that floor and acknowledge everyone personally and by name and, and check in with how they are and how they're doing and what they need and do they have what they need to, to be successful that day. And just making sure that you're taking the time to really connect with people and that you're not doing things as a checkbox assignment. I like that within any sort of job structure, but especially in something like that where people, you know, spend the majority of their time on their own, you know, making those calls. And, and you know, I I have been less than nice before to people call center calling me. So, you know, I I can imagine sort of the if if not the pain, just the sort of anguish of knowing that you're going to do that day and day and day and day and to have someone like yourself care. Now, you know from listening to the Cultural Hall that I like to put people on the spot, and you said you had morning songs that you uh, that you would sing either to amp yourself up or amp others up. You know that I can't just let that slide, and if you remember one of those songs, I'm going to make you sing it right now. <laughs> Happy Monday. Happy morning, it's a Monday, happy Monday. Yeah, I love it. And so just getting in and having people be welcomed to a, a song like that, I bet, if nothing else, would it certainly put a, a smile on their face for sure. Um, especially on a, you know, a dull Monday morning when everyone's up a little bit earlier than they want to. <laughs> and they're forcing themselves in, in, into your work site and just try and be that kind of zip of energy um, that they need to sort of get roused and, and be there. And it could be equal parts annoying as well, especially when the same song would come around on the Tuesday, but just change the name <laughs> of the day of the week. But I think it became something familiar um, and welcome over time. I hope so. So I've got to ask you, because in, in part of the stuff that you sent me about you, you talk about the karaoke world championship i need to know what this even is and what your involvement in it is <laughs> yes the karaoke world, karaoke world championships it is kind of like american idol but for a global audience okay um, every country has the opportunity to send up to this year of three singers uh to to represent um and we are actually right now in the middle of the actual world championship. So we started earlier in the year with U.S. nationals, and that ran for six months. 
in identifying the three singers that would get to represent the U.S. at Worlds. Uh, my role with that is uh, I serve on the board of directors of KWC USA and also as chair of the board of judges, and so uh, partly responsible for helping to recruit uh, professional qualified judges uh, for it and ensuring a smooth process and the integrity of the process mm-hmm. as we um, award our scores and identify people who progress through the various rounds. Um, and then once we completed that selection process in, gosh, uh, the start of October, supporting those three singers uh, as they prepare for Worlds, helping to develop them, um, making sure they have access to you know, development tools and coaches and things uh, to help them be prepared um, to to compete at Worlds. Now, ordinarily, this is a live show uh, this year and last year um, held remotely, and so people are making videos, and the videos are broadcast. Hmm. Now, there are so many questions that I have about this because I've never heard of the Karaoke World Champions uh, Championship. It sounds quite literally like the Olympics. You said every country has the opportunity to put forth their very best, and then three from each country are able to compete. So in the United States, do we do it like on a city level and then a state level, and then all the state winners go and compete against each other? Or how is how how are our country's karaoke champions decided? So in a normal year, when there's not a pandemic, it's done state by state level. Okay. Each state has its own organization and director uh, to find a state champion, and then those state champions all compete at nationals. Last year, it was everything was getting ready to gear up to do that again um, when the pandemic hit and everything got shut down, and so we had a, a scramble to come up with an alternative. And so uh, using the video submissions... That became all open rounds instead of state by state. And I have to wonder if there is a particular um, song that is overdone as you see it, as you see probably thousands of karaoke performances. Uh, I know just in, and I don't spend much time doing karaoke, that there are songs that I always know will come up. Are there ones for you that you're like, it's done, it's tired, let's do another one? Yes. Um, Hallelujah. Uh, the Leonard Cohen, uh, uh-huh. beautiful song, wonderful, but I've heard it about twelve times too many this year. Um, I, there, there are so many Whitney Houston songs that are just done to death again and again and again. Nothing against Whitney Houston. Well, um, sure, sure. I would imagine that within both of those songs, and and. <laughs> This is sort of a deep dive tangentially for the cultural hall, but I would imagine that um, that people, for the the choice of Hallelujah, they're trying to get sort of that a, emotive um, feeling, and that song certainly brings that. And there's some opportunities for you know some great uh, sustained notes, but then also like Whitney Houston, like one of the greatest singers ever. So if you're trying to showcase your voice, which I would imagine is part of this championship. Like, you, you're drawn to these ones that, that would allow you to do that. So it, it seems naturally that they would go there, but you're just saying, let's it's tired, let's find some other ones? Yeah, absolutely. I understand why those uh, songs are appealing, but 
we also want singers to bring a piece of themselves mm. to to a performance. Mm -hmm. And when you've seen so many different versions, it's hard to make yours stand out. Mm. And when people try too hard to do that, they can end up actually detracting from what made a song great to start with. I, I think that the happy medium is a song that's familiar and that most people will know, but not so familiar that you've heard it too many times. So when you go and karaoke, I assume that you do, like what's your go-to song? What's the song that's like, this is Ian's jam, everybody clear the stage, I've got this. <laughs> Gosh, I, I don't know that I have um, one specific go-to song. Certainly um, in the last, well, while I've lived in Utah, I've never repeated a song at karaoke. Wow. The, there are just so many songs that I enjoy and, and love and, you know, what mm -hmm. want to do. And so I, I don't like to keep going back to the same, same material, really. Um, why, why repeat a song when there are still another 500 favorites that I've never performed? Um, but if you really, really force me to pick something, probably... Um, on the street where you live from My Fair Lady. Okay. All right. I see where you're coming from. It, it's so fascinating because anyone who spends any amount of karaoke, like if you push them a little bit, they have that one song that they're really drawn to. Would you like a short story uh, real quick that might entertain you, Ian? Of course. Bring it on. Uh, back when I was a single person before I was married the first time, uh, I was kind of dating. I was getting to know this girl. And uh, she was a she, she likely probably has tried to represent the state of Utah in karaoke. I would imagine she took karaoke very serious. And um, she she uh, she calls me up in the middle of the night. Right. And when you're dating and people call you up in the middle of the night, you sort of get thoughts as to what they might be calling you for. And she said, come over. And I said, OK, certainly I'll come over. Give me a few minutes and I'll drive over and I'll be there. And uh, there in the middle of the night, she I, I go to the door and I knock sort of softly and and she lets me in and she's like, thank you for coming over. And I was like, yeah, you bet. What's going on? And she's like, I just need you to sit down. And I'm like, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know what this is, but this is not certainly what I thought this might be. But she sits down and she goes over to uh, I can't remember if it was on her TV. She goes essentially to the backing karaoke track and and presses play and then leaves the room while the opening uh, part of the song starts to play in and then starts singing uh, uh, Alone by Heart. Are you familiar with that song? Yes. Yes. And uh, and and it was sort of it was sort of romantic and sort of touching, but it also in the chorus of that song it is very loud and very powerful and very like it's it's a showcase piece certainly. And and the thing that whenever I think of karaoke, I think of this particular story because you know that song also sort of winds out in this this loving tale, uh, you know, and and it, and it, and it's just sort of like the, a dedicatory like love fest throughout that song and then it, it sort of tapers off and, and ends a and I was like I, I didn't know how because I was audience of one like I didn't know if she was like 
if she wanted me to say like, oh, a little pitchy on the note, but you know, you did a great job. Like I didn't know if she wanted me to adjudicate her performance. I didn't know if I was supposed to clap, but we get down and I was like, that, that was really great. And she's like, thanks for coming over. And then goes and opens the door and sees me out. What, 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 what? You just, how do I get you alone? Well, you yeah, got me alone. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, hello? <laughs> It, it is forever. Whenever anyone tells me about karaoke, my mind immediately goes to that home in the Salt Lake Avenues, to that couch, to the middle of the night, to, hang on one second, firing up the karaoke track. Karaoke so oftentimes will get the butt of jokes. Why do you think that is? One of the wonderful things about karaoke is, is, is also the source of that joke and that it's wonderfully democratic. Hmm. Anybody can get up and sing and perform. And it doesn't matter if you have the worst voice or the best voice, if you've never been on stage before, or if this is your substitute for a career in musical theatre, you have that opportunity. So sometimes there are people who are terrible singers who get the chance to let rip, and it's the only stage in the world, probably, where, where they're able to do that. And I love it for that, because... Hmm. I love the enthusiasm that people can bring and that it's about that passion for singing that everyone can access. Does that mean I necessarily want to hear everyone again? No. But I love that sense of if you love singing, you can do it. You have that that opportunity and that stage just for you that you can have those three minutes and do whatever song it is that means something for you or that will make that night special for you and just enjoy that moment. Uh, and I think that's fabulous. But, yeah, you can hear some very poor quality singing <laughs> as well. Uh, you can hear some very drunken singing in some venues. And not everybody's on board with that. Not everybody can have a great time cheering someone on for their three minutes regardless of how good or bad they are. And I, I think the best venues and the best audiences are those that recognize that somebody is up there and going for it and, and giving it their all, whether they're good or bad, and can actually get enjoyment out of just seeing someone loving singing, even if they're terrible. Those are the greatest venues to my mind. Hmm. I want to take another break. When we come back in the third block, I want to talk about how you don't just do karaoke, you also make music of your own. We'll talk about that coming up in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Hi, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast, it's beautiful, and it's super secure. So let's make sure your computer is ready to run it. If your computer isn't powerful enough, we'll show you what you need to upgrade in your old computer to make it run perfectly. If we can't upgrade your old PC to run Windows 11, we'll buy it from you and give you a credit towards any new PC laptop's computer. Now, our computer started only $29 a month and we have 12 months special financing. Windows 11 is simply Awesome! Bring your old computer into PC Laptops right now because at PC Laptops, we really love you. PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember there is the Cultural Hall Back Row, a free group that you can join on Facebook. Uh, over 230 people strong. 
in there talking about uh, their favorite parts of the cultural hall or sharing memes. I love when people do that within that group. Uh, people that are new to the cultural hall and, you know, they kind of step in and go, what is this exactly? Uh, there's all types. We also have those lifers and converts uh, that have been there for a good more than a decade. You can find us, the cultural hall back row on Facebook. Uh, Ian, um, before I step completely away from the karaoke, uh, these are, you mentioned since things are streaming or sing, things can be seen on TV, is there opportunity for people to see like the, the, the rounds or the final championship in all this karaoke business? Yes. The, uh, so the World Championship has three rounds. The third round, the grand final, will be broadcast on Saturday, November 27th. It is frightfully early. Um, because it, the organisation is based in Finland, and obviously there are viewers literally all over the world. Uh, it's a 5am start for um, audiences on the West Coast. Uh, but on the other hand, it's a four-hour broadcast. Uh, an element of this is a public vote, and only the top 20 singers will be in the final. And uh, after the first round, all three US singers are in the top 20. All right. Um, We'll see. Hope, hopefully, uh, that continues, and they'll be represented in the in the grand final. Um, but uh, if people do want to tune in and and see their performances and see other videos of other people in the world, then Saturday, November twenty seventh, is that grand final. There is a public vote by email um, for anybody who um, would like to show support for their favourite singers, especially if they happen to be the US ones. Yeah, USA. We should then we should get we should get some backing track underneath it as we sing or chant USA. Uh, you also make music, Ian, and I am curious uh, how if it came from karaoke and went that way to where you're like oh, I could write some music, or have you always been a musician at heart and karaoke has just been an avenue? Oh, singing and and music has always been a passion for me. Um, you know, starting out in just you know, school shows and things. Um, I mentioned that uh, one one part of my degree was in drama and uh, then did various pieces of musical theatre, um, directed shows and, and participated in different things, had a, a record out at one point. Um, so it, it's, it's always been part of my life and something I've never really gotten away from and karaoke is just the, the next stage in that uh, in my life really. And most recently, you've re released a new single called I've Got News For You. Uh, are you all right if we play a little bit of it here and then we come back and talk about it? Oh, I, I'd be honored. That, that would be wonderful. Thank you. I can see clearly without kidding Just by the way it looks at you I got news for you girl I love you Help 
So your single is called I've Got News For You. I've got to know about it. i got to know the, the story behind it, the uh, process of putting that out, uh, self-published, or are you signed with a deal? I need all the details. Uh, no, I, I'm not signed at the moment, no. And this was, was put out myself. But I, I felt that it was important with being chair of the board of the judges and there I've been week in, week out, all season long, um, and this is my second season with KWC USA, you know, pouring down judgment um, on these singers. Uh, it's important to show that you can actually walk the walk as well and that uh, you, you know what you're talking about and know what you're doing. Now, health issues have diminished my voice over the years, but that doesn't mean I, I don't understand the rudimentaries of how to put a song together, mm-hmm. how, how to construct a performance, how to deliver a video as well. Um, so I wanted to take that time to, to do that and to demonstrate um, principles in action and some of the things that we give singers feedback on to show, hey, and, and this is how I can do it. But also uh, one of the things that I'd become known for is uh, really deconstructing some of the songs that people do and breaking them down and analysing them and you know, discussing how a, a song may or may not be appropriate um, to do for performance or for the way that, that it's being performed. Hmm. And oftentimes what we find when we're listening to songs and you really break down the lyrics, something that sounds superficially romantic actually has some quite disturbing uh, and dark lyrics. Oh, yeah. And so singers need to make a choice in thinking about that, whether they lean into that or buy away from it or... How, how do you tackle those lyrics? You can't just ignore that they're there. Um, and so my goal with this was to take a, a song that I hadn't seen done at KWC USA. Uh, this is a, an old Fergal Sharkey song that sounds beautifully romantic and tender on the surface, but actually is, is full of quite dangerous obsession, um, as this chap is just... Uh, slowly going a little really insane with jealousy at the thought that this person that he's obsessed with is in a relationship with someone else. Hmm. Um, but the original just makes it sound so so pretty and beautiful um, with this nice grand piano playing and everything that it sounds uh, so romantic. But the words are absolutely not romantic at all and reveal, um, well, obsession is always about the person with those feelings, not the target of it. Right. And so I wanted to really try and lean into that and, and expose the mania behind it. Hmm. Wow. I, I love the idea of looking further into the lyrics um, because there are some songs that, that when people will reflect, oh, that's such a great love song. And I'm like, you clearly have not paid attention completely to the message of that song. Uh, there, There's one that I'm thinking of uh, where the lyrics are... Uh, if I were invisible, um, shoot, I'm not going to be able to re- recite them. But it's basically, if I were invisible, I would watch you all of the time so that I never kept my eyes on anything but you. And it's just like, mm, that may be romantic, kind of. And the way that the song couches it, it sure sounds sweet. But in reality, boy, not not, not a great <laughs> a great message that you sort of take away from the song. And so I appreciate you kind of walking that out a little bit. Absolutely. I think uh, a good example from recent years, and James Blunt, You're Beautiful. 
Oh, yeah. Um, where he's, you know, it's, oh, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, it's true, it sounds so cute on the chorus, but you listen, and he's literally writing a song about he sees a woman on the subway and she smiles at him, and that's enough for him to form this obsession, at least the character within the song. Mm-hmm. But the whole song is about that kind of obsessiveness, and all this poor woman has done is casually smiled mm-hmm. in this way. And there's a problem, I think, that our culture can reward these kind of tropes and make people, make typically men, feel that this is the way to behave and that this is okay and acceptable and an appropriate form of conduct and not really noticing how unwelcome it can be. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it, it dawns on me, too, as we think about music and the importance of lyrics and all of that stuff, the church is undergoing that massive uh, restructuring of the hymnal. What, when you think about the, the hymns of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, are there things in particular that, that you hope with the changes come about, uh, either songs that get be- added back in or th- ones that you hope, man, I hope that song's not in there anymore, anything like that? I think that... Uh... It would be great to have more variety in our hymnal. I, I would definitely, I, I, as the church grows more internationally, wouldn't it be wonderful to have uh, a selection of songs within that hymnal that represent uh, different cultures and countries and mean something specific to, to members in those places? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're going to be a worldwide church, and we are, then... Every aspect of that organization should reflect that, including in our hymnal. It's come to that time, Ian, that we ask the three questions of everyone who steps into the cultural hall. So I will ask those of you at this point. The first question is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? I am assistant board mission leader. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Um, events chair. Okay. All right. Uh, This is an added question because you are a Patreon saint and a fan of the Cultural Hall. How did you find us? A a friend. A friend mentioned you, actually. Um, um, She's she's one of the KWC USA singers, uh, the marvelously uh, talented um, Becca. Um, And, yeah, she mentioned one day uh, about the podcast, and so I, I looked it up and started listening. Uh, the final question, as you know, is what is your favorite part of your faith? The sense of peace and comfort that it brings, that uh, there can be all kinds of trials and things going on outside and uh, everything else, but having a, a place of, of security and a sense of security and a sense of direction in a complicated and confusing world. I appreciate that. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. All-